You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Why do many educated people struggle financially while others with no formal education achieve enormous success? The answer is one word mindset. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I believe, as you know, that readers are leaders. That's why I've chosen Audible as our sponsor. They're offering you, the listeners of this show, a downloadable, free audiobook of your choice. You get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. I love getting comments from the listeners, from you, the storytellers. Different opinions, different takeaways, different moments of inspiration. Keep those ideas coming and also your comments about what you'd like to see in this show going forward. Send them to loseclub at gmail.com. That's L-O-U-S-C-L-U-B at gmail.com. And if you're a regular listener, you're obviously getting some value from this show. Let other people know about that and increase the visibility of the show. Pay it forward by paying a visit to iTunes and leaving a brief review sharing your takeaways, and at the same time, give us a five-star rating, and thank you in advance for doing that. Today's guest is a successful woman who understands the power of mindset. She helps people, especially millennials, to master their money and success mindset so they can live their dreams. She's a sought-after speaker, an author, and a digital marketing consultant who has created content marketing and financial education courses for companies like Credit Karma, Discover, Wells Fargo, Intuit, and more. Her published work has been featured in Forbes, Huffington Post, Inc., Seventeen, and Business Insider. She wants you to have a love affair with work and money, and you can start by reading her book, Make Money Your Honey. Get ready to rock and learn with Amanda Abella. Amanda, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Oh, thank you. I love the name of your podcast. Can I tell you, I've gotten so many requests to start talking about this more. So you're you're definitely on to something. <laughs> oh, really? Um, yeah. To be talking about what more? Uh, mindset and money and how it affects us and um, our behaviors and our beliefs around money and how that translates over into our our working lives, I've gotten so many requests from social media followers to start covering this topic more. Well, you know what? As much as it's profound and life-changing, 
I believe that we've only seen with the best teachers of this, they've scratched the tip of the iceberg. Oh, totally. I agree with that. Because my belief, and it's it's the theme of this show, is that every single word we utter is a story, has a story built into it. It's creating a story that we're living into, and it's that powerful. You speak it, and it becomes a reality. I 100% agree with that. So let's begin with your story. Where were you born? I was born in Miami, Florida to immigrant parents. They are they were both born in Cuba and um they came here when they were children. So I grew up in an environment um that was basically full of Cuban Americans and then other kinds of Latin Americans started coming in. So it's definitely been a lot of fun to grow up in a city like Miami. By the way, do you know um you're in you're in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know a marketer who lives in Florida whose name is Omar Martin? No, that name does not ring a bell. He is um, Cuban descent. Oh, cool. And, he, and he's a great marketer. He's a fabulous, he's a friend of mine, and he's, he's a really good, he was affiliated with Mike Filsame for a long time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to look him up because, you know, us Cubans like to find each other. <laughs> well, he, he's really big on social media, so if you go to Facebook, you'll find them. I can even, um, are you and I Facebook friends? I'm not sure. If we're not, we're going to have to rectify that situation. Yeah, and then I'll just recommend you as a friend to him, and it's done. So who influenced you the most when you were a child? I would have to say it was probably my maternal grandmother. She was definitely something else. She actually is the one who taught me how to read and write in Spanish because I wasn't really learning in school. And she also taught me how to write a check. And she taught me how absentee ballots work. <laughs> wow. That's phenomenal. Yeah, she was she was really something else. The joke that she came to this country, she was already in her 40s by the time that she got here. But, you know, she even taught herself how to read English. Like, she couldn't speak it very well. But when she got here, she got um, to New Jersey, and she, like, immediately signed up for English classes. You know, she would, like, read the English newspaper. Um, that's just the type of woman she was. Like, she was always trying to better herself and she wanted to make sure that her grandkids you know knew a second language um you know she started teaching my brother too but unfortunately she had a short a stroke shortly thereafter um but she she still got in there <laughs> with my brother and she also wanted to make sure that we never forgot where we come from that we always had life skills um, and that, you know, our family immigrated to one of the greatest countries in the world. And we have this idea in our family that if she would have gotten here younger and if she would have already known English by the time she got here, I mean, she would have been completely unstoppable. Hmm. Grandmother is the word for that abuela. Abuela. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, did you have a childhood dream of who you wanted to be when you grew up? I wanted to be all sorts of things, but my earliest memory that I have is wanting to be an artist or some sort of a creative. I was that kid who was like in art camp 
in the summers um, or in high school I was taking theater classes or journalism I was always very creative but I also used to pretend to have like little stores and I would make my younger brother buy things for a quarter or I'd set up the living room to look like a classroom and my brother would be a student alongside with like 20 stuffed animals so I definitely explored a lot of different avenues when I was a child. <laughs> well, you were using the creative, dramatic imagination um, to explore an entrepreneurial world. Yeah, and I didn't realize that until much later in life. I actually just remembered this actually this morning while I was looking through these questions. I was like, wait a minute, I used to pretend to have a like store when I was a kid. <laughs> That's great, you know. I mean, entrepreneurs are really, I think at heart, they're more artists than business people. Oh, it's 100% an art. Because yeah, they, they're driven by a vision, and it's something in their imagination. So the imagination's important. Then they've got to learn business skills. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened to me. Actually, last week... Um, I did this big photo and video shoot for my company and I was talking to the production company and one of the photographers, we were talking about creativity and what that is and, and um, why some people think they have it and some people think they don't. And she said something brilliant, which was that ideas in and of themselves are creativity. Like people think creativity is like taking a pretty photo or a painting or drawing but ideas and being a visionary and solving problems, that is also creativity. Yeah, I, I believe that everyone um, is creative. Not everyone exercises their creativity and develops it. Yes. What is that quote that Pablo Picasso had? Like every person, every person I'm, is born an artist, but every child is born an artist. The um, Issue is keeping the artist alive as they grow up or something like that. Mm, do you do you have artistic expression in your life now? Um, I think it comes out. I just decorated my office. It kind of came out that way. Or I'm always doing like little arrangements and things like that around the apartment. But when I was a kid, I was drawing. I was painting. I, the only thing I hated was ceramics because I didn't like the feeling of the clay under my fingernails. <laughs> um but when I was a kid, I was doing everything. And then somewhere around being a teenager, it kind of switched over into writing and language and, and marketing. I was actually just talking to my graphic designer earlier today. She was uh, interviewing me. I was doing a testimonial for her. And I was like, listen, I have a good eye for graphics and images and things like that. But don't ask me about the technicalities about how that image was created because I would have no idea how to tell you. Mm -hmm. I can just tell you whether or not it's good. Well, you know, when you said you started getting interested in language and marketing, I mean, you, it's still, you know, that creative expression. I, I, I mean, this really resonates with me because um, I'm a professional actor. Uh, you knew that, right? I knew that. I Googled you. I yeah. looked you up. I saw your, like, IMBD and everything. <laughs> oh, cool, cool, cool. IMDB, I mean. <laughs> so then, so then you're, you're, you probably got scared because you said, this guy plays a lot of gangsters. <laughs> Not really. I mean, Scarface. I mean, it's Cuban, so. <laughs> yeah. Tony, Tony Montana. 
Tony Montana. <laughs> <laughs> I actually live, um, I live in Brickell now. Um, and the area that I live in still has like that 80s architecture. I live next to the building that's in the opening credits of Miami Vice. So I felt oh, right at home. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. So when did you actually consciously make a decision to become an entrepreneur? Um, consciously, it probably wasn't until 2013 when I was like, oh, crap, I got something here. Accidentally, it was in 2010 and it was out of necessity because, you know, I graduated. I couldn't find a job for six months. I'm not the type of person who likes to sit still and do nothing. I'm always up to something. So I Googled how to make money as a freelance writer. And that was sort of the gateway. But it wouldn't be for another three years, three and a half years, um, when I was working as a recruiter, I was working for an agency and my job was basically to interview people who were looking for jobs. And I think one day after doing like 10 interviews of people who'd been laid off, they got fired, there was a merger, so they laid all these people off. I just had this big light bulb moment go off where I was like, oh my gosh, a regular job is not secure. It's not. I mean, we're told that it is, but I just interviewed 10 people who got laid off last week. So clearly, you know, that's not right. And meanwhile, you know, I've had this little blog thing going and I've been freelancing on the side for a few years. And I see people, you know, in my space who are starting to like quit their jobs to do this thing full time. And this sort of light bulb moment went off where I was like, oh, my God, the economy has changed forever. And people are still waiting for this to go back to how it was before 2008. And that's never going to happen. And when I realized that, I quit my job. <laughs> well, it's um, it never was. I mean, what you're talking about is so timely. Um, we're living in an age of very, very rapid transition. And... I people may be tired on my show of hearing me mention this book, but it seems that every time I interview somebody, there's a reason to talk about it. If you don't know it, you should get it yesterday. It's called Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and Impact the World by Peter Diamandis, and he uh, explores the impact of the digital explosion digital technology on every aspect of our lives. And it's going to really talk to you about these issues and clarify a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest with you. We have applications come in for my coaching and consulting programs, and some people literally still blame the recession as to why they don't have money. And I'm here like, it's been 10 years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, thing is... We need to have a chat. <laughs> well, the, you know, it, it is, it's mindset. I mean, people, as long as they can find... And, you know, it's not just them. I mean, we all do it. I've I've done it. It's comfortable. When you can find a target to blame, it relieves you of responsibility and you feel... Good, you know, I, I'm, I've done whatever I can, and it's not my fault. It's external, and it's not, you know. It's not. No, no my associate coach and I talk about this all the time. I just onboarded her, and I'm like, listen, the reason my clients get the results that they get 
in my programs is because I make them take personal responsibility. And if they don't take personal responsibility, I fire them. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's a wonderful attitude. So as you began to build your entrepreneurial business, what uh, obstacles did you have to overcome? Oh, my gosh, so many because, you know, life is funny. (laughs) Um, But I would say one of my biggest obstacles that I am proud to say that I've definitely done a lot of healing in this department. I had this tendency of like overgiving and under earning. A part of it is social conditioning. Um, you know, we women kind of struggle with that due to social conditioning. Another part of it was, you know, graduating during the recession and being like, I'm just going to take any job I can get. Um, and I have to make sure I'm indispensable so I don't lose my job. This was before the entrepreneurial light bulb really went off. Um, and, I, you know, honestly, I put up with a lot of crap to make a buck sometimes even after I quit my job and I was in the beginning stages of really going self-employed full-time. And I would also do three people's jobs for the price of one. Um, I have since recovered from this, or I am a recovering under-earner. That's what I tell a lot of my clients. I've learned how to negotiate, and more importantly, I've learned how to have boundaries. Hmm. Yeah, that's really important, and it is tough for people to do. Um you know, it's funny because when I, I work with business people and uh, I use a lot of the work that I developed and learned in the world of, of acting and in improvisation, there's a great exercise on uh, you just get two people together and you get them to play status you change their status you give somebody high status and somebody low status and they'll discover so fast which ones they're comfortable with. Mm, that's you, interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, because sometimes a person will be brilliant playing low status. And then when they have to transition into high status and be in a leadership position and be firm with people and set boundaries, they feel uncomfortable. Mm, Yeah, I mean, I've had to help a lot of clients through that struggle, you know, and I had to overcome it, too. I think one day it was, like you said, I just had to take personal responsibility for what was going on in my life financially. And I was like, well, food costs money, so I got to go figure this out. Like, it's really not that deep. (laughs) And once I had that realization, I was like, oh, okay. And then little by little, putting in boundaries, you know, and I feel like it's something that changes over time. Because, you know, a business is is sort of like a living, breathing thing in a lot of ways. You create this thing that's bigger than you. So there's always a new level of boundaries that you have to put in. You have to be more mindful of your yeses and your noes and what you decide to do and what you decide to take on. You have to be more mindful of who you decide to work with. So I'm not surprised to hear that it's a struggle for people. I see it all the time. Uh, in my coaching programs and things like that, boundaries is one of the biggest issues that comes up for people. And oftentimes it comes back to this idea that I need to be everything to everyone because there's not enough money in the world. Therefore, if I'm everything to everyone, I can make sure that I keep making money when in reality, the opposite ends up being true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, what were the were there specific obstacles you faced as a Latina woman? 
So I wouldn't say that this particular thing is specific to me being Latina because I know that lots of immigrants from all over the world actually go through what I'm about to say. So my parents, you know, you have to imagine that they fled the Cuban Revolution and so did my grandparents. They lost everything from one day to the next. So what ends up happening is that there's this really big fear of investing. Investing is scary, which makes sense because they already have a general mistrust of the institutions. So you're like, what? I'm going to put my money in the stock market? That's insane, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and again, that's not specific to Latinos. I mean, I come from the personal finance space, and that's basically everybody. I think it's just that with Latinos, there's this added element to it. And again, not just Latinos, it's any immigrant that really has fled for economic or political reasons. There's this added element of, well, I already lost everything and had to flee to another country. So I already have a general mistrust of all this stuff in the first place. So they try to go for what's secure, right? They go try to go for like the professional jobs. There were no entrepreneurs in my family that I know of. Um, you know, not that my parents know of either, um, because it was always like, go for what's safe, right? Or another thing that happens is you'll notice that in Latino culture, uh, cash is king. You always need to have cash on hand. So in case, you know, stuff goes down, <laughs> you need cash. Um, and again, that's just because of what they went through, which is completely understandable. So it wasn't until my mid-20s when I realized, oh, wait a minute, I have taken on this story. I have taken on this story of like fleeing a revolution that I didn't even live through because I was born in the United States. <laughs> but I still have that story and I realized that part of my job now as a first generation American is honoring the sacrifices that my family made so that future generations could have a better future for themselves and not have to struggle so much. And the reality is that in order to do that, there is a level of risk that you need to take, you know, with your money, with your time, with your ideas. You can't play it safe and then expect to have the kind of, you know, wealth and achievement that is possible for you. Um, but on the flip side, I also have a work ethic like it's nobody's business. I understand the opportunities that are available to me just because I'm in the United States. I mean, even as something as basic as access to the Internet is not something that you can access so easily in other countries. So the way that I see it personally is if I don't learn how to access this tool and leverage it to make money, then that's on me. That's my screw up. Mm, I like that. What else did you do to change your money story? Are there things that you actually worked on? Um, well, boundaries was a big one for me, continuing to ask for more money. I did a lot of internal work. I mean, there's, um, money stories is like peeling an onion. There's always like a new level to it. So I, the only difference between now and maybe a few years ago is that I can catch things a lot faster and I don't get taken down emotionally as much by it. I'm able to just sort of witness it and be like, oh, Okay. And I think a big part of that has been that I've had a meditation practice for almost a decade, which has helped me be way less reactive. And I'm sure that you know this, that when it comes to money, it really triggers people. <laughs> um, you know, and it's very emotional and very psychological. So learning how to be the witness to those things instead of getting wrapped up in it has been huge for me. 
I love what you said. Um, what do you um, do? You use my headspace. Um, so I started with just meditations I would find on YouTube for meditation teachers and things like that. I just became really intrigued by the topic, and I realized that when I do it daily, I just feel better in general. So I was like, okay, well, it makes you feel good, so keep doing it. Um, in order to track it, I think I was using the Calm app for a while, which was really good. But now I'm just kind of back to like, okay, who are the teachers that I really like to follow? What are their guided meditations? At this point, it really just kind of depends on what I'm going through and what my mood is. But I will do it every day. I, I do it every day, too. I would recommend that you check out headspace.com. And the beauty of it is that they they give you 10, they call it 10 days, but it's really 10 trials. You can go on and go through the guided meditation to see if you like it. Uh, I did it and I stayed with it. I've been with it for more than a year and it's it's amazing. Changes your life, right? Yeah, it does. And the way it's constructed, they have themes. You might be going through, let's let's say, uh, oh, a particularly difficult time emotionally. Maybe it was a breakup with somebody. They have a themed meditation just for that. And or what I'm doing now is just daily meditations, where every day he introduces a different theme. They're all interwoven, but it's really fabulous. It's, it's that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I think Calm does similar things too. They'll have like different themes depending on what day it is, or you can pick um, some based on how it is that you're feeling, and they have them categorized in different ways. Mm-hmm. So I love those things. I think if, like I don't think those apps existed when I started meditating. I kind of fell into it through like yoga and things like that. But I've definitely used them when I feel myself like falling off the wagon, which doesn't happen very often anymore because it's so ingrained in my routine. But there was a time a few years ago where I felt that and I got one of those apps to like track it. And I started noticing all the changes just in how I was feeling, you know, my outward circumstances. And I realized I'd been tracking it for about a year and then I was done. I mean, I never needed a reminder again. Like, this is a non-negotiable. I do it in the morning and I do it before bed. I love it. And, you know, when you said that it helps to make you uh, less reactive and more responsive and you talked about money. Uh, Listen, it's been my feeling for a long time that our society is more confused emotionally about money than they are about sex and they're pretty confused about sex they are very confused about sex (laughs) speaking as someone who just invested a lot of money to help in the relationships area of my life they're very confused about it um and they they are equally if not more confused about money and the two are very much related (laughs) they are they are related the reason i think i would i would argue that they're more uh, confused about money, as you'll notice, people will readily talk about sex. They'll talk about their sex lives, etc. Try to get them to talk intimately about their money. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> you know, tough. I mean, I've been tough. able to. Do, yeah, I've been able to do it over the years. My life has gotten a little weird. Like, I could go on a first date, and a dude is telling me all his money stuff, and I'm like, huh? Like, <laughs> because normally you hear about. Um, 
how people don't like to talk about those things, especially with their partners. And I'm like, I don't really have that problem. I think my energy just gives off this vibe. Like, you can tell me all your financial dirty laundry and I'm not going to judge you. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Now, were there thought leaders and mentors who inspired you the most to change? Um, I'd say Gabby Bernstein was a big one for me back in the day. So I just stumbled upon her toward the end of 2012. I found some like authors at Google Talk she did when her second book was coming out. And it was the first time I'd ever heard anyone say that your thoughts affect your reality. How old was I? I think I was like 23, right? And I was like, oh my God, why is this the first time in my whole life that I'm hearing this? This makes so much sense. Of course they do. Of course your perspective matters. And it just like blew my mind. I was like, like I said, why Why did no one teach me this? Like, why don't they teach this in schools? That was my reaction. <laughs> well, that's, this is Napoleon Hill, uh, Think and Grow Rich, you know? Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's not taught in school. Well, it's slowly beginning to be, but that's where they should start, you know, uh, uh, because what they teach in schools is basically useless, a lot of it, especially now. So Abby Bernstein, uh, what what was the one of the books that comes to mind? Gabrielle, Gabby Bernstein or Gabrielle Bernstein. I'm not sure uh, which moniker is on her book, but I think at that time, the second book that was coming out was Spirit Junkie. Um, but yeah, I just looked up all her talks and then I became a little obsessed with all her like old lectures on things like A Course in Miracles and stuff like that. You know, I've since found other mentors. Like now I'll go more to like Marianne Williamson and stuff like that. But I will always remember Gabby Bernstein as sort of like the gateway <laughs> mm-hmm. to that kind of a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. We touched on this a bit. But uh, maybe you want to expand on it. Why is the traditional model of go to school, get a degree, settle on one career, a dangerous model to follow today? I mean, it just financially makes no sense, to be honest. Once you crunch the numbers, you're just kind of like, what is going on here? Because people are like thousands of dollars in student loan debt for a piece of paper Meanwhile, the price of everything keeps going up, but salaries at those jobs that you are now tens of thousands of dollars in debt to get, the salaries are stagnant. So it just literally makes no financial sense. I have people coming into my business all the time, and I've had very frank conversations with them where I'm like, listen, you're six figures in student loan debt and you're making 40 grand a year. Your job's not going to give you a raise. And even if they do, it's not going to be enough. Your only option is to go figure out how to make more money. That's it. You have no other option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how about the fact that right now, a lot of the things that they're studying for in school, once they come out of school, those things will be obsolete. Their jobs won't even exist. It's like literally useless half the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, I hope more and more people become aware of that. So what do you say to someone who doesn't believe that they can, you know, strike out on their own or become an influencer? Um, well, I was thinking about this question and I actually had my agent teach a bonus class for my group coaching clients yesterday and she said this great thing which was like listen if you have a social media account which everyone does at this point you already are an influencer Hmm. yeah so supposing because i've met you know smart people today who said well i don't have a social media account 
Well, you still influence the people around you. You know, I think it's just a matter of the term influencer, which as we know it now, this didn't exist when I started blogging. It's basically like spokespeople on campaigns, you know, or it's thought leaders. We've always had thought leaders and spokespeople. It's just that now everybody has the opportunity, thanks to the Internet and social media, to put it out there. So once again, you know, people are like, well, how do I, you know, make sure that you know, social media is such a waste of time. And I'm like, well, it's only a waste of time for you because you haven't figured out how to make money off of it. Because if you were making money off of it, you wouldn't think it was such a waste. Exactly. How has the internet permanently changed the nature of work and success? Oh, my gosh. Well, first, you can work from anywhere. That was one of the reasons I went into entrepreneurship. I mean, I'm five years into being self-employed, and I just got a private office because we needed it because we outgrew everything else (laughs) and started hiring local team members. But before that, I mean, I was working from literally anywhere, you know, and if I want to work from home or from an airport or from a train or from another country, I can. (laughs) So that's number one. Um, Second is you can have clients from anywhere. You know, a new client recently joined one of my programs and she's in Portugal. I also have meetings with people all over the U.S. and Canada. And as of late, I've been having a lot more meetings with people in Europe and even a few in Africa. I mean, it's mind blowing. When you take a second to think about how connected we are to all parts of the world, it's mind blowing. It's just that this is so basic to us that we don't think about that uh, because we use it every day. So we don't take a moment to pause and appreciate it for what it's been able to do for us. Um, and then finally, you know, it's a low cost way to make a name for yourself. Absolutely. The meetings, do you use Zoom for that? Uh, if they're international, we use Zoom. If they're US or Canada, we can do phone unless they want Zoom. Well, Zoom is great because you can see the person. It makes it much more, um, well, it makes it more personable. Yeah. I mean, it really just depends on the person or what they want. We have all options available mm-hmm. thanks to the Internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to, yeah, I know you, the answer is probably yes, but did, did you actually invest money and time in formal personal development courses? Yes. I've been trained to be a professional coach, so I did that when I still had a job. I recently invested about $12,000 to work with a specific mentor in the relationships arena of my life. Last year, I went to go see Tony Robbins. I did the whole fire walking thing. Um, That was a pretty penny (laughs) as well. Um, It's constant. I mean, it's either my own business development or personal development, and oftentimes the two go hand in hand anyway. They do. Which uh, which um, Tony Robbins course did you do? Uh, I went to the Unleash the Power Within seminar. So that's the one that you, it's like four days. It's a whole weekend. I think I was sleeping three hours a night. It's insane. Um, and then that's the one that you walk across a bed of hot coals. I, I've done it. Yeah, I've, I've walked across his coals. And I did another one actually before him where the firewalk was actually... Um, more challenging than his. Uh, his was pretty challenging. I was like, I got this. And then I stepped up on the grass and I forgot everything they told me, but it's so brilliantly designed. Like, there's really no way of explaining it. You just have no. to go do it. <laughs> you do. You do. Yeah, I know. That's great. Yeah, I've I've invested probably close to $200,000 in personal development. I did all of uh, T. Harv Eker's programs. 
Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's constant. And what I tell people is it never stops, number one, because no. we're always here learning something new. Number two, there's three areas. I mean, if you include health as well, I've definitely spent way more um, than what I said because there's three areas that are so interconnected. It's health, it's relationships, and it's money. Mm-hmm. You're probably not going to have all three of them balanced at the same time, but if one is really screwed up, it's really going to affect the others and vice versa. And my feeling is that the money is one of the biggest and most important players because if you're really, really stressed about money, that stress is going to play havoc with everything in your life. Oh, yeah. I say money and health are probably the places to start. For me, I couldn't even go into the realm of relationships until I had money figured out personally. There you go. There are some, pe- <laughs> there are some people where it's like the opposite, but for me, no. I need to make sure my bills are paid before I can even go handle this. <laughs> I love it. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's just, it's so basic to human survival, you know? Um, you know, my mentor talks a lot about, like, feminine and masculine energy and things like that. And some of the women really struggle with it because, you know, perhaps, you know, they are struggling financially. I mean, even that will affect the type of man you choose if you're struggling financially or oh. the type of partner you choose. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, 100%. You know, statistically, and that's not the case for everyone, but statistically, you know, if a woman cannot financially take care of herself, she puts herself in a position statistically, right? Of course, every situation is different to end up with a really controlling man. Hmm. Very, very interesting. From a, it's great to get your, you know, a woman's perspective on this. This is, uh, it's quite fascinating. Yeah. So it's really interesting. So the way that my mentor teaches it, which is so brilliant, I'd never heard anybody say this because everyone has masculine and feminine energy. And that's part of what you have to learn in when you're in relationship with other people um, is when to use which energy. So what she teaches, I'm like, this is so smart, right, is to use your masculine energy to make sure that you are taken care of. That's what it's there for right? Mm-hmm. Once you have that, then you're more easily able to be in your feminine energy, which is more about flow and relaxation and receptivity. But it's really hard to do that if you're worried about how to pay your bills. Yeah, I love that. That's a great, that's, a, that's an interesting model, indeed. Yeah. Uh, by the way, when do you plan to do uh, Tony Robbins' Date with Destiny? Oh, man. I After like four days, I was like, I don't know if I could do like seven, but you know, eventually I'll probably do it. <laughs> I don't know when yet. I actually have a seven-day retreat planned for January, so do you, we'll see. Do, do you have Netflix? I do, yeah, and I've seen um, I Am Not Your Guru. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. I, I, I became a little obsessive with him after unleash the power within i went into unleash the power within i knew who he was obviously everybody knows who he is um but i tried not to look at anything before i went to unleash the power within i really just tried to go with an open mind um and just do whatever they said to do because that's what some mentors had told me they're like don't try and turn it into what it's not just whatever they say do it and that's what i did i really went in with an open mind a beginner's mind even though I knew who he was, I very consciously did not look stuff up before this event because hmm. uh, I didn't want that to affect my experience. 
Um, and it was wild. I'm pretty sure like, I've had like a heart chakra opening at the end. I don't know. Like something happened. Like there was definitely like an emotional shift within me. Um, going to unleash the power within and, I mean, it's just so wild. It's just, like, again, it's so hard to put into words. I did a whole podcast episode on it, like, two days after I got back from the event. And you can still hear, like, the emotion in my voice. But I kept saying over and over again, this experience is so hard to put into words. You just have to go do it. Like, I don't care. Slap it on a credit card. Take money from your 401k, which a financial expert saying grab money from anywhere. I don't care where you grab it from to go do this thing i mean it says a lot <laughs> oh yeah i know i know i felt that way once i embarked on the journey with uh t harv Eker's courses yeah i did his enlightened warrior which oh, please five days it was th- that changed my entire life it's um yeah five and days people think these things huh people think these things are a luxury or you know i heard one of my mentors say recently You know, like people will spend all this money on like cosmetic surgery and things like that, which is fine. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing that without having done the internal work too, it's useless. You know, it can be because you can look at yourself in the mirror and be shocked if you still see the image that you uh, were trying to change because that's internal. It's internal. And then, you know, what was the other thing that they said? They said something along the lines of, like, people have no problem spending thousands upon thousands on procedures. But then when you talk to them about therapy or life coaching or investing to improve a part of your life, it's like they struggle with that kind of a decision. But that's what will really change things, not those procedures. But, you know, I'm glad you brought this up because this comes to the heart of what we both do. I'm a storyteller. You are, too, because you're a marketer. And I I want to play devil's advocate for the people who resist those things. Because, see, when we present something, you know, therapy, and we know how powerful and transformative it is, we're still often talking about the thing itself. It's like a feature. It's therapy. And when, listen, when a person hears that, I'm sure that they get this image of something arduous, something um, that's going to be uh, uncomfortable and painful. Uh, Well, it is uncomfortable and there is work. (laughs) That's true. But if we spent more time painting the picture of what they would be as a result of it, and they get excited about that picture, then choosing the vehicle to that would be easier yeah i think people i mean there's also the notion of of it is work you know and to deal with your own inner demons everyone has them and that is work and it is really uncomfortable and you're going to do things that you don't want to do so i think we also need to be honest about that like it's not a quick fix like you have to show up and do the work and then you will get these results i think sometimes people go into it with the idea of like this is a magic pill or a silver bullet, and it doesn't work that way. There's a level of personal responsibility that needs to be taken. Mm-hmm. Got to be honest with you, Lewis. I don't know if a lot of people are willing to take that kind of responsibility. Um, not the majority, but a lot more today are. And once again, I think it's in the positioning and presentation of it. You don't have to lie about the fact that it takes work, but I think we have a responsibility 
to really paint a three-dimensional picture that they can feel and see and taste and hear of Mm -hmm. who they will be after they do it. So that that becomes so exciting that when you say, okay, these are the steps, they go, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. You know? Yeah. And I think vulnerability is important in that conversation as well. Where were you and how did this help you get to where you want to go? And I think I think sometimes it's hard for people to relate to perfection or relate to feeling better or relate to having found a solution to their problems. Right. So I think, you know, if we share vulnerability in terms of where we were and what we were struggling with and how these vehicles helped us get to where we go. I think that would really make a difference because people would see more of themselves in it. Well, you just described the whole hero's journey, which takes us right back to drama once again. Yep. It's all about drama. How can someone transition from an employee mindset to an entrepreneur mindset? Um, I think it goes back to what we just said. I think when you're an entrepreneur, there's a new level of personal responsibility you take on for your life. Because, you know, when you go to school and and get a job, I mean, it just teaches you to get a paycheck. It doesn't really teach you how to make money. There's a difference. There's a big difference. And a lot of people don't realize that. And when you're an entrepreneur, it's going to grow you. It's going to challenge you in ways that you never dreamed of. But the rewards are going to be great if you're able to really go through the motions of that, you know, and entrepreneurship is going to force you to heal your unconscious wounds. Because here's the thing, like the health of a business directly is a direct reflection of the health, both the physical health and the internal health of the person who runs it. So there's kind of no hiding from it, right? Um, I interviewed a, a feng shui teacher who I know in Miami, and she said this amazing thing on my podcast where she was like, if I am out of alignment internally, physically, you know, if I'm avoiding something, it's going to show up in my bank account. I'm going to see the effects of that. Mm-hmm. So it it comes down to this idea of taking personal responsibility and taking ownership of your life. And I think that is the biggest mindset shift that they're going to have to make. And it's not necessarily an easy one to do, again, because it takes personal responsibility, but it changes everything. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot, uh, forcing you to heal your unconscious wounds. Um, I may come back to that. I really like that idea. It's true. Um, What are the biggest financial opportunities right now? I, I had asked for Latina women, but for people period today yeah i mean i do think it's entrepreneurship you know like you like we mentioned earlier like people just aren't making enough money sure they might have some consumer debt but you could cut out all these extra expenses and you still wouldn't be making enough money that's just the reality of the situation right now so it really is you know it's so easy you know to make more money if you're willing to put in the elbow grease thanks to the internet. And I was recently at an event, I was at a Latina meetup event, and I can't remember the exact statistic, but Latinas are starting businesses at rapid rates. It is one of the biggest sectors for entrepreneurial growth is Latinas. Um, And it's not a surprise because, you know, I know for me, speaking personally, family is a big deal to us. And the corporate structure is not exactly built in a way that is conducive to that. It's just not. It is what it is. Um, 
And on top of that, we also need more voices and representation in the marketplace. So I think there's a great opportunity there because a lot of people don't realize this, but I work with a lot of these companies as an influencer. They are looking for us. They are looking for Latinas. But can, when I tell, can I tell you that oftentimes I will hear something like I was at a conference a couple months ago and they're like, oh my gosh, we just can't really find that many Latinas in the finance space or we can't find that many Latinas that fit this description which is mind-blowing to me because I'm like well we're out there <laughs> I don't know why you're having such a hard time finding us and I realize it's because there's not enough of us stepping up and claiming that mm. do you work primarily with Latinas or no no, I don't. I just happen to attract a lot of them because I am one, which right. I'm cool with that. Right, I'm cool with that. <laughs> you know, and I will proudly wear that mantle because especially when I went to that conference, one of the things I kept hearing was, oh, we can't find Latina six-figure earners. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, this should not be this difficult. What is going on here? Um, or another thing I saw is I had done this um, – there's a calculator. I can't remember where it was right now, but you plug in like your education, your ethnicity, how much money you're making, all these types of things, and it'll tell you in what like percentile you're in. I was in the top 1% of Latinos because of my education level and because of my income. Fabulous. That's wonderful. And I was like, and it's fabulous. I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm doing really well. But at the same time, a lot of people aren't. <laughs> Um, so what can I do to bring more Latinas into this space? So it is something that I've started to become more vocal about because I've realized how much it's needed. Yes, yeah, and it it, it does go beyond Latinas. It's true. It's, it's People need to really deal with the, the reality that they need, to, that they, they must embrace that they themselves with everything that they know and things that excite them in the world, they have something inside of them that is marketable, that they can monetize. They don't have to look for approval or permission from a company or a boss. Mm, no, they don't. But that's another thing people struggle with is that need for approval. But, you know, that's a whole other podcast episode. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Now, you know, jumping back for a moment to what you said about healing unconscious wounds to become an entrepreneur, I don't know if you ever heard this one, that uh, rejection, which is something that you will face when you're in sales, you'll face it certainly as an entrepreneur, you're not always going to get a yes, that rejection, which so many people are afraid of, really doesn't exist, What it, what it is is it triggers abandonment issues in our, yep. in our lives. Yeah, and speaking as someone who's done a lot of internal work around that recently, not in terms of money, but in other areas, it is 100% true. It triggers abandonment issues. Yeah, and so once you, if you really realize that, you go, wait a minute. When a person says to me, no, I don't like your stuff, I don't want your stuff, it's not about you. It's about them. But if you start to feel bad about it, it's because you're feeling the way you felt when somebody didn't love you and walked away. Yep. What is it that Tony Robbins says? There's only two fears, that you are not loved and that you are not enough. Everything comes down to those two. Mm, yeah, it's fabulous. 
Well, given all of this, where do you see yourself in five years? So I actually don't do five-year plans. (laughs) (laughs) I can think about a year, and that's like... I, I tap out like that's the max I can do thinking beyond that I'm like mm, no I like to leave some wiggle room for life you know life throws surprises at you I need some flexibility in there I feel like sometimes people do these five-year plans that become so freaking rigid that like something else changes or something better comes along but they can't even see it because they're so stuck on this five-year plan <laughs> what is your one-year plan um Definitely, I think we're looking at multiple six-figure business. That'll be easy. That'll definitely be done. Um, And we're going to be expanding more into masterminds and live events. Everything's been online up until this point. Uh, But I'm like, I I think it's time to start doing some live stuff. We'll see. So that's, that's the plan right now is just taking this message to an even bigger level. Um, and really making sure that whoever needs to hear it, hears it. And right now, that's what it looks like in the next year or so. Beautiful. Where do you... Um, no, <laughs> I already asked that. <laughs> what is your favorite book? Um, there's too many to count. I'm reading all the time. But I recently read this amazing book that my photographer gifted me. It's called Heart Talk by Cleo Wade. And it's a collection of notes and poems about the human experience. So a lot of the things that we talked about today. And I loved it. Cleo Wade. Mm -hmm. Very good. How about a favorite quote? There is no such thing as certainty. And I made that up when I quit my job. That's yours then. That's mine. Beautiful. If you could wave a magic wand, Amanda, and change just one thing in the world, only one, what would it be? I wish that people actually liked and loved themselves more. Um, There's a lot of brokenness in the world. And, you know, we both talked about how people are totally screwed up with, like, sex and money and relationships and health. A lot of that really just comes down to a lack of self-love which in turn leads to a lack of love for others. And by self-love, I don't mean narcissism. That's like a totally different thing entirely. Um, But there's this lack of thinking that we are loved and thinking that we are enough as we are. Like there's just a lot of people walking around and they just don't like themselves. And then that leads to a lot of problems, which we see on an epic scale. I totally agree. And I think the reason is that our whole society has been built on mythologies or stories that foster that attitude. I never thought about it that way. And I was a lit major, and I never thought about it that way. Well, I'm going to go, when I say mythologies, all of the religions. Yeah, I would agree with that. If you think about it, I mean... Well, I know when I was a kid, and I, very, very young, I was, you know, I grew up in an Italian Catholic family. and I had Cuban Catholic, Catholic family. I know where this is going already. Yeah, and, <laughs> but I remember, I remember even as a child thinking, wait a minute, I'm being taught that I have original sin, that there's... You're being I, taught that you're inherently flawed. I'm flawed, I'm tainted, and that, you know... Um, wow, what a way to start. 
and I'm going. Yeah, you're a terrible person. And so um, I remember. I felt. Yeah, that. I remember. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I remember being in Catholic school, and this was a huge aha moment that I had. And I was like, I have never seen so much self-loathing in my entire life. Just like observing other people and their behaviors and things that they would do. I'm like, these people kind of hate themselves, don't they? You know, and I didn't mean it in like a I'm better than you kind of a way, but just in a, something about this whole thing is really screwed up and flawed. And it wasn't until and, you know, I ended up I mean, I basically stepped away from all of that um, in my 20s because I'm like, mm, something here is not right. Um, and then it wasn't until much later when I realized that's what it is. I was like, oh, all these people are being told that they're crap. OK, this now makes sense. Yeah. And, you know. That you know leads into the societal idea that you know you need to be humble, and that's misinterpreted, and so super misinterpreted. Correct? Right? I would, well, yeah. yeah. So you you know you shouldn't be tooting your own horn. Well, I got news for you today, especially if you don't toot your horn, no one's going to hear you. Yep. And you yeah, be- gra- you better toot it really loud and proudly. Mm-hmm. Grant Cardone talks about that a lot. I went to an event he did here in the summer. He actually looked up the definition of the word humble and put it on the screen. I actually ended up telling my mother what the actual definition is, which is basically means you're a lower class. <laughs> That's what humble means. Um, so Grant Cardone was like, why would anybody want to be this? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And so, you know, it's even interesting before when you're talking about self-love, you just naturally, as a knee-jerk, you say, I don't mean narcissism. It's like we unconsciously start to almost apologize for even saying that, self-love. Well, I think because there's um, people have misconstrued it, kind of like how they've misconstrued self-care. I'm going to talk about this stuff a lot more about my own podcast, like, Sometimes self-care means doing the dirty work on your own internal stuff that is sucks, right? Doesn't mean always go getting your nails done and going to the spa when you don't have the money to pay for it, right? So I think, you know, self-love is one of those things that gets misconstrued kind of like how self-care does. I think all of it comes back down um, to balance. Self-love is having compassion for yourself and others. You know, narcissism is just manipulating and starting crap. Okay. For your own gain. Okay, that's cool. I'll go along with that. Yeah. Now, who are your ideal clients, the people that you can help the most? So ideal clients for me, we have our six-week Persuade to Profit program. That's for bloggers and business owners. Many of them are either at a crossroads, so they're stuck between two different niches, or Um, You know, I've had some come to me that they have a a pretty solid social media following and they're now realizing they can actually make money off of it. So that would be an ideal client. Another ideal client would be someone who's been freelancing for a long time, but they want to move more into the consulting space that they stop doing so much done for you work and they can start scaling. Mm, nice. What was the first one called? The uh, persuasion. Persuade to profit. Yeah, that's mm. our six-week program. We've helped clients go from making a thousand dollars a month to six figures within a year. We've helped clients go from not being able to close a single sale on their own to closing seven after doing the training. 
we've had clients close people who had previously said no and stop emailing me. <laughs> we've had people increase their revenue by over 10 times. I mean, it's an incredible program. Beautiful. And how can they contact you and find out more about this? So you can go to amandaabea.com if you want to know specifically about this program. You can book a free mini coaching session with me or one of my team members. And you can go to amandaabea.com forward slash free call, and we'd be happy to talk to you about it. Okay. See, you're you're Cuban. So when you said abea, I know what that means. But I'm willing to bet there's a lot of people who are going to spell that a B E Y Y A. So it has yes. to be A it A B E L L A. Good call. <laughs> yeah. It really has to be Amanda Abella, which I think I said when I brought you on. Yeah, so here's the funny thing. Most people see my last name and they think I'm Italian. It's actually from northern Spain. I thought you were Italian. Everybody thinks I'm Italian. There you go. Yeah. Amanda okay, so Amanda, A-M-A-N-D-A, Abea is A-B-E-L-L-A dot com, guys. That's where you can contact Amanda and take advantage of the exciting stuff that she has to offer. You said you're a literature major, right? I was a literature major. uh, What degree do you have? Uh, I have a BA in English literature. I am a literature major. Of course you are. I I tell this to people all the time. They're like, you're going to be an actor. You're going to end up in storytelling somehow. Like, it's not a completely useless degree. You just have to learn how to take those skills and turn it into something that makes money. (laughs) It's been serving me ever since, you know. Uh, uh, There are so many applications to it. Yeah, and I I did my master's in English Lit. Yeah. Um, It's fascinating. What? Any final thoughts? Um, I just want to thank you so much for having me on this show and asking me these deep questions because so many people don't ask those questions that really get people thinking. So I just wanted to give you that feedback and tell you to keep doing what you're doing because it's needed. Thank you so much. That's um, And you have given a lot too. You see, when you talk, it's it's not even so... No, it is. It is the things that people say. But as you know, how they say it and the energy with which they say it tells a big story, too. It matters. And oh, tremendously, because if you're not authentic, it's going to come through in your energy and people are going to feel it, even if the words are great. So your words were great, but they were in alignment. I, I I knew. I said, this woman... Yeah, she's walking to talk. She she knows this stuff, and she helps people with it. You can feel it. Yeah, my photographer told me something really interesting last week because we'd done a video shoot too, and at the end of it, we were having a snack. We were exhausted from running around the whole city, and she said, you know what? This was a really fun shoot, and you basically hold the world record for getting the video part done in record time. And I was like, really? And then her husband chimes in and he's like, you want to know why it was so easy? It's because you actually like yourself. Beautiful. And I know you had to work to get there. 
oh, I had to do a lot of work to get there. And that's what they were telling me. They're like, we can tell that you've done a lot of work on yourself. And I was like, can you like tell on camera when someone has it? And they're like, oh, yeah, we can tell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You let's not get into this one because I love it's one of my passions and teaching people how to be great on camera because I had to learn in front of the camera where there were big bucks involved, you know. <laughs> Talk about high stakes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun, and um, I can't wait for you to share this with uh, your tribe. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Definitely one of the top interviews I've done recently. Oh, thank you so much. I really received that. And thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Amanda Abea. Wow, it excites me when I talk to people like Amanda who just make a decision that they're going to create the life that they want. Her passion for spreading the word about money mindset is so important today. The way you relate to money has a lot to do with the way you relate to yourself, with how much you value yourself in the world, with how you interact with other people. It's not about a physical thing called money. Money is an energy. Pay this forward, especially to other millennials. Let people know that they can hear this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and on the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. Remember that at that website, there's an empowering ebook that I've created for you. It's absolutely free. Just go there and download it. It's called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. We spoke about many books today. Yesterday, I read an entire book. It was so satisfying to do that. It's called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Anyone will be empowered by this book. Its idea is very simple, that our main enemy, that is the initiator of all our inner struggle, it's one word, resistance. And I got this powerful, inspiring lesson about resistance from a book. Remember that we have a sponsor called Audible that is offering you, the listeners to this show, a download absolutely free of an an audio book of your choice. You get to choose from more than 180,000 titles, and then you get an entire month of all of Audible service for free. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. For next week, think about one of the final things that Amanda shared with us when I asked her about waving a magic wand. And if she could change one thing in the world, she said she would love to have everyone love themselves more. This week, look at your life. Look at, think about the, the areas where you don't like yourself too much. Think about the self-talk that 
when you're putting yourself down and make a decision to stop that and start nurturing yourself and start believing that you are worthy. Say things like, I am worthy of the best things in life. And you just continue to repeat it until the feeling matches what you're saying. And then the belief kicks in and you've started a journey toward greater self-love. That's my wish for you. And to help you along the way, begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.